as we continue in worship here this morning, I, I just want to encourage you to, to grab your Bible. I, I really do want you to do that. Grab your Bible and, and turn with me to Genesis 12. Uh, that's where we're going to be picking up today. We're there in Genesis 12. And we're going to be starting in verse 10. And so if you're joining us uh, for the first time, I, I just want to welcome you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever had any interaction with us and you're wondering what we're about. Um, this is it. We're, we're about the Word of God. And, and so we're glad that, you have, that you've joined with us whenever you're, whenever you're watching this. And, and if you're willing and able, I would actually encourage you to stand uh, where you are uh, with me as we look at the Word of God together. One of the reasons that we stand for the reading of God's Word is, is to demonstrate our, our active participation, our active participation in what's happening. As God is speaking, as God is speaking to us, we aren't passive, we aren't... Um, we aren't just observers, but we're here and, and we're ready to engage in the Word of God. So this is Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, with everything swirling and whirling and going all around in the world today, we pray that you would just separate this time out for us. We pray that you would enable us to, to be present with you and, and in this weird season to even be present with your people even while we can't be with them. And we pray that you'd use this time to speak to us. We need your word. We need your grip on our lives to hold us. So we pray that you would speak to us. Uh, speak so loud that our deaf ears wouldn't be able to miss it. Be so bright and so magnificent today that our blind eyes wouldn't be able to, to miss you. Lord, awaken our souls that we might know you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you stood, you can be seated. One of the, one of the things that uh, we come to know, uh, and, and one of the things that, I'll be honest, that we often forget is that no matter how hard we try, uh, we really don't have <laughs> control over 
over our circumstances. I mean, we can make choices, right? I mean, we definitely make choices. We make choices every day. We choose what we're going to eat. We choose what kind of toothpaste we're going to use. We choose whether or not to go somewhere or to not go somewhere. We can make all sorts of choices. And we saw that last week with Abram in chapter 12 as he was called by God to, to leave his land, uh, to leave his culture, to leave his family. We saw that Abram made the choice that he took a step of faith. We saw him make that choice to follow the command and the calling of God on his life. And that's really what it was. Okay? God didn't God didn't give him a map. Remember that? He didn't give him all the answers. Like he didn't carve out a line through the sands of time. All right? I mean, sometimes God does do that, right? Sometimes he just goes full on pillar of fire and and says, "Follow this." Just an old covenant uh, Google map. But he didn't do that here. No, he called Abram to go, and Abram went. And when we left off there in verse 9, we left him as he journeyed on. That's what it said in verse 9. If you look back at it, verse 9 says that he journeyed on. And the picture there for us is one of not just faith in a moment, but abiding faithfulness on the part of Abram. And we need to see that. We need to see that as he, as he continued on in faith, he's still walking, still taking true steps of faith. And so the difference here in verse 10, all right, at least at first, it isn't the person of Abram. All right, he hasn't necessarily changed. But what has changed is the circumstances in which we find him. We need to know that because it doesn't say, listen, it doesn't say that Abram got lost. It doesn't say that Abram went off the course and started, started to do his own thing. Okay, that can happen, but in verse 10, that hasn't happened yet. In 10, all we know is that he's continuing on the path that God had for him. But we do see that his circumstances changed. Because in verse 10, we're told that, now, now, okay, while he's continuing on, okay, you need to know that. While he's journeying on in obedience and faith, now, while that's happening, now, now there was a famine in the land. Don't, don't miss that. The famine isn't a result of some lack of faith. The famine that came upon that land isn't a punishment on Abram for going astray. It's not a result of some specific sin. God, God's not going, uh, okay, you don't want to listen? All right, I'm going to send a famine and that'll straighten you out. That's not what God's doing here. No, the famine showed up. The famine came into the land while he was walking in faith, not because of a lack of it. I think too often, too often, we are tempted to think that the trials and the difficult seasons that the famines of life are a direct result of some specific thing that is lacking in us. And we do need to be honest, okay? Because choices that we make in life do, 
do often result in trials and seasons of difficulty, right? Uh, so, so kids, like my kids know, and you kids who are watching this, you know that if you choose not to listen, like if you choose to live a life that's, that's basically fighting and arguing with your brothers and sisters or, or fighting and arguing with your parents, uh, you know that trials and difficult seasons are going to come for you, right? Like if, if you and I make choices to sin, we absolutely should expect, I mean, we should expect trials and difficult seasons to come out of it. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that difficult, that everything that's difficult in this life is a result of something that we have done or even something that we've left undone. That's one of the problems that we see with with the so-called prosperity gospel that still seems to get traction somehow today. It's that it becomes all about us. It becomes all about what we do. And so if we will just believe in Jesus, this is the way that story goes, if we will just believe in Jesus, then God will, will give us our best life now, right? If we will just trust in Jesus today, that's what they say to you. If you will just trust in Jesus today, Jesus will take away all our problems. He'll take away all our sorrows and all our difficulties, and it will all just sort of melt away. Well, listen to me. Genesis 12 blows that whole idea out of the water. Because Abram, listen, look at it. You can look at it with me. I'm not making this up. Abram was trusting Jesus. God. Abram was walking in faith, and in the midst of the walk of faith, what happened? There was a famine in the land. And that's just what it looks like. That's what it looks like to live in a broken, groaning world. It's walking in a place that's, a place that's full of famine. A place that's full of hardship and and coronavirus. And and so we should expect famines to come. We should expect floods to rise. We should expect storms to show up on the horizon and make their way into our life. Listen, living in a broken world and not expecting storms to come is about like jumping in the lake and expecting to not get wet. And Abram knew that. I mean, Abram had experienced that. We were told back in chapter 11 that that Sarai was barren. And so they knew what it was like to suffer hardship in life. They knew what it was like to live in less than ideal circumstances. But what we want to look at here today is his response in times of trial. Look there at verse 10 again. It says, so Abram, look at that. Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, we, all right, pause. We might question Abram's judgment here, but, but the reality is this is a pretty natural response for anybody living in that area of the world at that time. All right, from a, pra, from a pragmatic perspective, it makes complete sense that he would go to Egypt. All right, he's just, in his life, he's surveying the terrain. He is taking an inventory of what's happening and looking at his situation. He's going, there's a famine here. There's a famine where I am. So let's go over there. Let's go over to where the Nile River is. Let's go to where food is abundant. And so this is a pragmatic step, not a step of faith. 
Really what it is is a step of fear. You see, it's his fear of starving that moves him into Egypt. Now look at what happens next. Look, look, at, look at verse 11. It says this, When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now let's just be, I want you to stop there and let's just be straight here for a second. He starts out this conversation with his wife pretty good. All right? Guys, that's a good line. In fact, men, if you are there with your wife, now I'd encourage you, just try this out. Just look at your wife. Ask her to look at you. Ask her to look you right in the eyes and say, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Try that. Like, try that right now and see if she doesn't blush just a little bit. And, and like, kids, if you're there, make dad do it, okay? Make him do it. All right? This is a good way to start a conversation with your wife, but it's about to go off the rails like real, real quick, okay? He says, I know, look at that again. He, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. He's still doing pretty good here, all right? Still, he's telling, he's telling her, you're beautiful. In fact, everybody's going to know you're so beautiful, they're going to try and kill me to have you. Here's what he says. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me, because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Listen, that's a bold strategy right there. That is a gutsy move. That conversation went south real quick. But we, but we can see what's happening here, right? That it's not faith here that's motivating Abram, it's fear. First, it was starving that pushed him into Egypt. Now it's a fear for his life that's motivating him to live out the lie. It's just his personal survival instinct kicking in right here. It's that natural predisposition that mankind has to protect himself, even if it means, even if it means someone else suffering. He's looking at his wife. Can you see this scene playing out on the road to Egypt? He's looking at his wife and he's telling her, telling her to suffer for his sake. Abram wants the provision while she pays the price. And we can see him. I mean, we can see him rationalizing this in his mind because God's made promises to him, right? Abram's, Abram's going, listen, listen, Sarai, I'm, I'm, sort of a, I'm sort of a big deal here. All right, God's trying to do something. He's trying to make me into a great nation. He's trying to bless me. He's trying to make my name great. Remember that? We heard all that. He's trying to do that now. He's like, don't you remember that God's going to bless those who bless me? And so just from a pragmatic standpoint, Abram knows that if he dies, none of that can happen. He's just doing what so many of us do when we rationalize our sin. And so it's not, really, it's not really that he's denying God in the moment. It's that, he's, it's that he's forgetting about God in the moment. He's just replacing God's plan and purpose with his own. And what we really see is he's really replacing God's plan and purpose with himself. All right, think about what we don't see Abram 
doing in this passage. We don't see Abram calling out to God for direction when the famine strikes. Did you notice that? Like we don't see Abram coming before the Lord in prayer. We don't see Abram calling out to God for deliverance. We don't see Abram calling out like we like we sang earlier from Psalm 130 that out of the depths I cry to you. We don't see that. We don't see him going out of the famine, out of the virus, out of the isolation, out of the, out of the depression, out of the fear, out of the anxiety, out of the loss, out of the cancer, out of the loneliness, out of the uncertainty, out of all the unknown. I cry to you, oh Lord. We, we, we don't see that. From this man whom God had intentionally purposefully and sovereignly chosen to be his own. We don't see faith in this moment. We see fear. And I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in my own life this week. Listen, there's a group of pastors here in our area who've been getting together uh, once a month. We've been doing this since the beginning of the new year, so we're still pretty new at it. But we've been getting together once a month to pray. And so this week, we gathered together online, all right? Everyone in their own space, everyone practicing social distancing, but, but on a computer screen together. And we were praying together. We're praying for our churches. We're praying for our families and we're praying for one another. And the resounding confession in that virtual room, I wasn't the only one, I promise you, but it was, it was my confession too. But we were all sort of universally confessing that when, that when everything fell apart two weeks ago, like when all of our normal plans were just broken, when all of our normal strategies were eroded away, by, by the need to quarantine in order to protect our neighbors, that it was like a wave washing over a sandcastle in our lives. Our, our, and our first response in that moment wasn't to start praying, but it was to start doing and so here's what that looked like. It looked like us Googling, you know, what's the best camera to buy in order to do live stream? And what's the best software to buy to do live stream? And then pretty quickly for most of us, that turned into not what's the best, but what's the most affordable. And then from there, it was what's the, what's the free way to do this? You know, what sort of licenses do we even need to live stream music? And so all of us, we flew into action. All trying to make something happen. All trying to persevere. And so like Abram, here's my confession to you. My first instinct wasn't to run to the Lord, but it was to run to Egypt. Like Abram, our, listen, our intentions aren't necessarily evil in that. They're not wicked, but they are, they are driven more by, faith, more by fear than by faith. More by, more by response than by God's revelation and more by our work than by God's word. And so often, so often all it takes is just a change in circumstances, just a new wave crashing onto the shore of life. And in Abram's case, it was a famine. And you know what a famine is? A famine is just a time of lacking. It's a time of lacking specifically in food. That's what a famine is. But there are all sorts of famines in life. 
There are famines of friendships where we just feel alone. Some of us have felt that all the more in this season. There are famines of human contact where we're sort of forced into isolation. There are famines of victory, right? Where it just seems like no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we prepare, nor hard, no matter how hard we practice, all we get are losses. So listen, there, there's all types, of, all types of famines. All it takes is just a season of difficulty, of stress, a season of discomfort, a season of loneliness, a season of loss. All it takes is just a change in our circumstances. And like Abram, we can forget all about God. And what we end up doing is we default to that original setting that we came with from the factory to walk by sight instead of by faith. And so this story of Abram, this this story that we have in front of us, reminds us, (laughs) in case there was any doubt, It reminds us that Abram is not the hero. That Abram is not our hope. That he's not the ideal to strive after. That he's not the goal to try to attain. And it points us forward. This is what it does. Abram's story points us forward to another story. It points us to the story of another man. It points us to one who would come after him. It points us toward the one who walked into another city. It points us forward to one who would walk another path, not not so that he could be comfortable. I mean, not so that he could prosper in the world, not because it would be good for him, but he chose to walk into that city because it would be good for others. Remember that when Jesus walked into Jerusalem towards the end of his earthly life, it wasn't to preserve his life. It wasn't to protect his life, but it was to lose it, to lay it aside. Not that it would go well with him because of us, but that it would go well with us because of him. It's the opposite of the motivation we see from Abram here in Genesis 12. And listen, Jesus knew what was coming. He wasn't caught off guard by the suffering in front of him. He knew they they weren't about to give him any prizes. They weren't about to deal well with him. Nobody was giving Jesus camels when he came into Jerusalem that day. Remember, he rode the ghetto donkey into Jerusalem. Now, he had told his disciples in Matthew 17, this is what Jesus had said. He said, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And he said this, and they will kill him. Okay, so Jesus knew what was coming. But Jesus also knew how it was going to end. You see, he was going to be abused. He was going to be mistreated. And ultimately killed in his innocence and in his righteousness. Not for his sake, but for ours. But for ours. That's what would take Jesus to the cross. That we might be redeemed. That we, who once were far off, who once were far off, could be brought near. 
be brought back to God. He was paying the price so that we might receive the provision. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, after going through the the roll call of faith in, in Hebrews 11, after going through Hebrews 11, the author there, he doesn't say, let us then fix our eyes on Abram. He doesn't say, let us fix our eyes on Noah or on David or any of the others in the great cloud of witnesses, but we're to fix our eyes, to look to Jesus, who he calls the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who we look to. I mean, that is who we lean on. That's who we trust in, the one who died for us In our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, who stands by us when we fall today and who promises that I am with you always. It's easy to forget that that when God calls us to follow him, it's always on a path that cuts through a broken and fallen world. It's always on a path that runs through a famine-friendly environment. It's always through the mess. But the promise, here's the promise. The promise is that He is there with us. He's not just cheering us on from the sideline. He's not going, listen, you got this. He's going, we have this. Remember, it's take heart, I have overcome the world. Not take heart, you've got this. That he's with us, is that he's for us, is that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us, that he'll carry us all the way home. You see, we know the end of the story too. And so the call for us is to trust, not in our own strength, but in his. Not in our own performance, but in his. And not even in our faith, but in his faithfulness. He's the one who never lets go. He's the one who never grows tired and weary. He's the one who always holds. Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, Abram shows us our weakness. And in God's grace and in his providence, Abram's failure points us forward to the strength of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am resistant to believe that. I still resist even to this day to believe that you've got me, that you've got this, that you've got the world, that you've got it all, that you have the whole thing in your hands. I sang that as a child, and yet I still forget it. Lord, I pray that you'd remind us of that today. Remind us of that in this season as we have no control over so much of our circumstances, as we are powerless to make things go away, powerless to bring back normal. Or maybe that's a good thing. If I've learned anything, it's that that some of the pieces of my normal probably need to die off. And then I need to walk more deeply, more truly, more passionately, more ferociously with you. Help us to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.